0: Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. If you're able, would you stand please as uh, we read these verses together? Then God said, let us make humans in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humans in His image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, See, I have given you every plant-yielding seed that is upon the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food, and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. And There was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. This is the word of God. You can be seated. From this passage, I'll preach from the title this morning, Embracing interdependence. Embracing interdependence. We're returning this morning to our sermon series from the first two chapters of Genesis. We looked first at just the first couple of verses from Genesis 1 in which God is portrayed as creator. If God is creator, we said during week one, then the only appropriate response to this God is to worship. The next week, we looked at the first six days of creation and saw how creation was made for... Does anybody remember? See, I shouldn't ask this question because I just get depressed. (laughs) Made for harmony. Oh, yeah. Okay. Someone said, oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Even if you don't remember, thank you for making me feel better. Creation was made for harmony. And we made three observations about a world made for harmony. First, individuality is essential. Second, diversity is natural. And third, harmony is beautiful. It is good. This morning, we're going to return to the sixth day of creation when God made people in his image and in his likeness. Now, I'm hoping already that after just a a couple of Sundays in this series, we're We're beginning to understand that if we see God as creator, if we see the world as creation, if we see ourselves as creatures, it impacts how we live. Now, if you're not a Christian and you're unsure about all this creator, creation, creature language, I'm very, very glad that you're here. Uh, The assumptions of Genesis 1 and 2 can sound a bit odd, a bit strange to our contemporary ears, But I think it's worth wondering whether what we find in these chapters actually resonates deeply with the world as it is. The sixth day began with God creating living creatures for the earth, quote, cattle and creeping things and wild animals of the earth of every kind. And then God turned God's attention to another creature, people made in his image and likeness. In these verses, we find that God made humans in his image to be interdependent with the rest of creation. Now, unlike the rest of creation, image bearers, people, have the freedom to honor our God-given identity or not. A tree just reflects the harmony of creation by being itself. By being a tree. We, on the other hand, unique in all of creation, can choose whether or not we will honor our identity as God's image bearers. And how might we do that? Well, Scripture is full of ways that we can honor our God-given identity as image bearers of God. But, but this morning, we're just going to focus on one. One that shows up here very, very early in Scripture. And here's how I want us to think about it today. We honor the image of God in ourselves by embracing interdependence. To say it a little more succinctly, we honor the image of God by embracing interdependence. Now, to be interdependent is to be mutually dependent. It is to be relied upon even as you rely upon. Interdependence is neither total dependence or total independence. It reflects, rather, the relationality for which image bearers of God were created. This passage reveals, I think, at least three ways that we can honor ourselves as image bearers of God. First, by embracing our interdependence with God. Second, by embracing our interdependence with men and women. And third, by embracing our interdependence with creation itself. So let's start with the first. Honor the image of God by embracing interdependence with God. Okay, right off the bat. You can't really be interdependent with God. Because God doesn't really need to depend on anybody. Amen? But what we're going to see next week is that God... While not depending on us, does delegate to us, and doesn't delegate in a superficial way. God delegates in a way to us, which makes the creation flourishing dependent on us. So, you know, throw me a bone. Let me stick with my theme of interdependence here, and let's stretch a little bit. But but let's let's focus on this one, just in the ways that we are dependent on God. Next week we'll look at how God delegates to us. Honoring the image of God has something to do with you and I acknowledging our dependence on God. And that includes a whole lot of different things. But, but, but one of the things is, is, has to do with being made in the image of God, because an image always is meant to point beyond itself. A landscape painting points to the landscape that was looked at when the painter was painting it. An abstract work of art Points to whatever the artist was imagining when she or he were working on that piece of art. A photograph of Chicago points to what? The actual city of Chicago, right? So if I've never been to Chicago, but I see a picture of Chicago, I'm being pointed to the real thing, to the city. On the other hand, once I actually visit Chicago for the first time, I now look back at that picture through a different point of view, right? That picture has been placed in context. And I, I see the picture and I go, oh, now I see where this was taken from. Oh, now I see what was just kind of cropped out of the picture itself. So the image points beyond itself to the real thing. But the real thing needs to be experienced in order to really understand the image. Are, are you with me so far? To, to be image bearers of God is to point beyond ourselves to God. But also, we understand ourselves as image bearers of God by looking at the real thing, by worshiping the real thing, by acknowledging and praising God in whose image we have been created. To understand ourselves, to know ourselves, image bearers must know the one in whose image we were created, in whose image we are meant to reflect we are dependent on God as creator for everything. And we're going to say a little bit more about that in just a second. But we are dependent on God for knowing ourselves as well. At a very basic level of identity, we know ourselves as we know our God. Who tells us what our image reflects. Some of us uh, are into those like different kind of personality uh, tools and assessments, right? You, you kind of read a book or you take a quiz and it tells you about yourself. And there's a bunch of different ones of these. And when those tools and assessments point you beyond yourself to the God in whose image you were created, they can be very, very helpful. But when those tools just stick with you, when you're just stuck studying the image and never being pointed to the real thing, they're not, they, ha- they have their limitations is a nice way that I will say that. So for those of us who believe that we have been created in the image of God, we will always be interested in looking at the real thing, at the one who defines who we are. So so let's say a couple other things about this kind of dependence that we experience with God that we see here in the passage. In other ancient Near Eastern stories of the universe's origins, oftentimes humans are, are made as almost an afterthought. Uh, the gods make the creation for themselves, for their own use, for their own gratification. And then uh, at some point, the gods go, you know, w- we could use some people to serve us. We could use some people to do the stuff that we don't want to do. So let's make some people. And often the, the nature of the people's dependence on the gods is kind of like the nature of, of an enslaved person to their so-called master. Right? That's, the, that's the nature of the, of the dependency. That's not what we see in Genesis. In Genesis, we see that God has created everything for abundance and blessing and flourishing so that once people are created, not as an afterthought, but kind of as the culmination of the six days of creation, we have all of our needs met within the creation itself. Humans are not an afterthought. Our posture of dependence on God is as those created who can delight in and enjoy and love their creator. You see the difference? Okay, that's something. Also, in some of these kind of ancient origin stories, you find that when people are created, they're created in a kind of hierarchy. There are people who are lower on the, on the level of status, and then there are more elite people. And the creation itself has a hierarchy built into it so that those lower on the hierarchy do not so much depend on God as they depend on the people at the, at the top of the hierarchy, at the more elite people. And maybe there's a, a small group of the elites who get to depend on God, but everybody else has to depend on those who are higher up in the hierarchy. Do you, do you track with me? Again, not what we find in Genesis. What we find in Genesis is that everybody is created in the image of God. Everybody gets to depend on God. Nobody has to depend on someone else as a kind of mediator to the creator. Everybody has access to the God in whose image we are created. Parenthetically, this was always a problem for Christians trying to justify slavery. When you read sort of the the historical record of how Christians worked to justify enslaving other people, people had to do all sorts of violent gymnastics to this text. to to rationalize treating anybody as less than the image of God. Baked right into our, our Christian scriptures is this understanding that everybody who's been created has been made in the image of God and gets to depend on God. So I would describe this as a dignifying dependence, as a humanizing dependence. We have been created purposefully to bear God's image, Not to serve the gods as slaves, but created equally without any hierarchy to know the love of God and to depend on the God who tells us who our identity is. The good news, the very, very, very good news is that we can know this God. That we can know the God in whose image we were created. That we have not been left in the shadows to wonder, to guess at what the intention and the direction of our lives is meant to be. We can know the God who created us. So we honor the image of God by embracing interdependence on God. And again, next week, we'll lean more into what it is that God delegates to us. Second, we honor the image of God by embracing interdependence with men and with women. Verse 27. So God created humans in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Right from the beginning, the image of God is portrayed in both women and men. Now, to most of us, it's like, okay, and? Well, again, we need to compare this to to others of the the kind of ancient origin stories of how the, the universe is created. Because in most of those origin stories, when the gods get around to creating people, it's just men who are created. And eventually women, again as an afterthought, and sometimes in a a very violent way, are brought into existence. But here in Genesis, we see the assumption that to bear the image of God, both women and men are required. We need both women and men to fully express the image of God that we have been created to express and to live out in this world. Both women and men bear the image of God in the Genesis accounts, which I think describes a kind of interdependency then between males and females as the text describes it. In, in the other uh, days of creation, every other uh, creature is differentiated by its kind or by its species. When it gets to people, we're differentiated not by kind, but by male or female, by sexuality. That's the difference that God describes when it comes to the image bearers of God. Which means, I think, that we would say that both female and male sexuality are very good, are intended by God. We would also say that our culture often doesn't reflect that understanding. And if we're honest, the church throughout history has also often fallen short of upholding both the dignity of female and male sexual difference. That that oftentimes the church has upheld a kind of uh, gendered hierarchy with men at the top and women at the bottom. And, And we, as Christians, we need to be honest about that. We need to acknowledge that that has been the case and that we have fallen short of the creational vision that we find here right at the beginning of our scriptures. So, Interdependence between male and female. There is a sameness that's implied. So in the, the second telling of the creation story in Genesis chapter 2, when the male first uh, sees and acknowledges the female, he says, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Sameness. Uh, so much that is shared in common between the man and the woman. But also difference. Sameness. Sameness and difference, which allows for this relational interdependence. We've said a couple times over the last two weeks that the authors of Genesis just assume that God created all the material stuff of the universe. That that anything that exists was created by God. But we also said that the author of Genesis seems to be very interested in the, the created purpose of everything. The functionality of everything, the, the dignity, the why behind everything that has been created. So we could bring then that lens and that question to the interdependency between men and women. What is the purpose of this interdependence? Books and books and books have been written about that question, and I will not attempt a summary of those. I'm limiting myself to, to a couple things that I think we, we find in these first two chapters of Genesis. So the first one that I would say in terms of the purpose of male female interdependence would be procreation within the safety of covenant marriage. Procreation within the safety of covenant marriage. So God says to the image bearers in verse 28 of chapter one, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And then you jump to chapter two, And the narrator says to to, to us, the reader, in chapter 2, verse 24, Therefore, a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife, and they become one flesh. Now, importantly, both Matthew and Mark in the Gospels record Jesus returning to this language, to these creational accounts, to, to describe, to reaffirm the significance of covenant marriage of procreation within a covenant marriage as being God's intention and something very, very good and rooted in the very creation itself. Theologian Marva Dawn uh, kind of reflecting on these themes. She writes this, the greatest gift of sexual union is truth. The assurance that this man is committed to me for life. The divine call that our marriage is to be a sign of God's grace the security that love does not depend upon our attractiveness or sexual prowess. So, again, the first sort of purpose of this female-male interdependency, be procreation within the safety of covenant marriage. Uh, the second one that I think we find in Genesis, very simply, would be for community, for friendship, for relationship. Uh, God says in chapter 2, verse 18, it is not good that the man, that the human, should be alone. God says that isolation was not God's intent. Loneliness was not God's intent. That rather a relationship, friendship, community is what you and I, as image bearers of God, have been created for. And some theologians reflect on this as a, as a kind of a glimpse at God's self. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit existing in eternal community with God's self. So that when God says it's not good for the image bearer to be alone, it's a reflection on God's very character. That God's self is relational. That God exists within loving communion within God's very self. Female-male uh, interdependency is meant to, I would suggest, nurture Community. Uh, Be one of the the, the good realities that allows friendship and community to flourish. Now, men need men to hang out with. Carlos Dodson is organizing a men's breakfast coming up soon. And women need women to hang out with. And one of somebody should organize a women's (laughs) breakfast. Just let us know if you want to be that person. So yes and amen. We need those We need those same gendered friendships and relationships. Absolutely. But we have been created for an interdependent community that includes both men and women. That that's actually what what human flourishing looks like on kind of the the norm and the average for for Christian people. So I, I have the incredible blessing of having a spiritual director who's been the same person for over 10 years. And then another person who's been my mentor, again, for over 10 years. Both of these people are women who are like, a, I'm going to put it this way, who are about a generation ahead of me. Is that fair? Is that okay what you say? Okay. And over the, 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 the past 10 plus years, both of these women have spoken incredible life into me. They both have corrected me. They've encouraged me when I've been at the lowest of lows. They've they've shared wisdom with me when I'm completely confused and turned around. They've prayed with Holy Spirit power into my life when I felt dry and depleted. For me, both of those relationships are little windows of experience into the goodness that we've all been created for. I can have those good relationships with men as well, but there is something just good and fundamentally human about being in those sorts of relationships that demonstrate the interdependence between men and women. Are you with me? Okay. So what, what does it look like then for us to embrace interdependence with men and with women? Three things that we can accept. First, we can accept the gift of who we are, the gift of your maleness and the gift of your femaleness. It does not mean conforming to inter- any gender stereotypes, <laughs> Which are fast-moving targets? Can we agree? <laughs> and pretty culturally dependent. That's 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 not the point. It's, it's it's rather just being grateful that God made you the way God made you, a- accepting that, embracing that, being thankful that you, in the skin you're in, have been created in the image of God. Having a posture as you look at yourself of gratitude. When you look at yourself in the mirror, do you feel thankful? Do you thank God for how you've been created? That's one of the implications of this interdependency. Second, so we accept the gift of, of who we are. We accept the purpose of sex itself. To, to unite in covenant one flesh, as the text says, a one flesh relationship, which means then to be a blessing to the world. In, in, in some of the, the, the sort of ancient Near Eastern stories, there were fertility rites built into the, to the stories. And the assumption was that, that for procreation to happen, you needed to do some things to make the gods allow you to procreate. You needed to make certain sacrifices. You needed to, 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 to kind of observe certain religious observations. In some extreme cases, you needed to, to participate in, in ritual cultic uh, 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 like temple prostitution, uh, which was built on all sorts of injustice and inhumanity. But but the assumption was that for fertility to happen, for procreation to happen, you had to do certain things that would then allow the gods to allow you to procreate. None of that is found in the Genesis text. Instead, God just says, look, here is the creation as I've designed it. in abundance, in flourishing. And here is how procreation will happen. Not that you have to beg me for fertility, not that you have to, 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 to turn yourself inside out, but that you simply live in harmony with the creation as I've made it. So we accept the gift of who we are. We accept God's purpose for sex. And then three, we accept the invitation to interdependent community. We accept the invitation to interdependent community. None of us are meant to live in isolation. None of us are meant to be alone. We were made, we were designed for community. For community that allows me to be very honest about my needs. And a community that allows others to depend on me. Like every single one of us in this room should experience community where you can be completely, totally honest about where you're lacking something maybe that's material resources maybe that's just like the emotional place that you are right now and which allows you to step up right and to say here's what i bring to this community you can count on me in this particular area does that make sense to accept that sort of interdependent community a lot of us a lot of us have, are, are are looking for community but we're doing so as people who've drunk deeply from the cultural well of independence we, we, we've done our best to, to insulate ourselves from any kind of need. We've done our best to provide completely for ourselves, to be strong in every possible area, and we find ourselves hungry for community. You can't have both. You can't have both. The, the, the accepting the gift of interdependent community it means acknowledging that, that I'm not perfect, that I am broken, that there are some things that you can do for me that I might not be able to do for myself right now. Are you with me? Okay. We honor the image of God by embracing interdependence with men or women. Number three, we honor the image of God by embracing interdependence with the creation. With the creation. Now, I want to notice how this works in two different directions. In verse 26, God says, let us make humans and let them have dominion. In verse 28, to the humans, God says, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over it. Now, I don't know what those words sound like to you, dominion and subdue. But I'm guessing they don't sound great. I'm I'm guessing they don't sound hospitable uh, to you. They don't sound caring. And, And there have, in fact, been many critics of the Genesis accounts who look at those words and say, see, these stories were written to justify human domination. Uh, There there have been significant critics of this text who've said, see, look, right there at the beginning of your sacred texts is the justification for human domination over other people, over the creation itself. Here's why I think that that completely misses the point. Uh, In the context of the passage itself, there is no death. God has not allowed killing of any kind. Whatever dominion and subdue mean, it involves no violence and no death. Secondly, after every day of creation, God looks over all of creation and, and God says, what is beautiful? It's good. It's abundant. It's flourishing. It's blessed. Here at the sixth day, before uh, we get to the Sabbath rest, God looks over everything. and said, God says, it's good. It's beautiful. So whatever else is happening in these passages, there is not domination in the way you and I think about it. There's not subjugation. There, there is not violent control over the creation. There is not exploitation or extraction. There is flourishing. There is goodness. There is beauty. Next week, we're going to spend most of the time talking about our vocation. And I'm going to say that our vocation, our job as humans, all of us, is, is mostly like to be gardeners and caretakers. So we're not have time to talk about that today, but what I need to just notice is that uh, the, the, the Genesis accounts assume that creation flourishes in the presence of people. That creation flourishes in the presence of people. To put it more specifically, that creation, that all that has been created grows into its, its God-ordained potential in the presence of image bearers of God, which is beautiful and also disturbing when we consider how we often live in the creation. And we ask, is my presence bringing creation to flourishing or not? And we'll talk more about that next week. So that's the first direction, that that creation in a sense depends, is meant to depend on humans to flourish, to reach their full potential. Second direction is in verse 29, where God gives people seed and fruit-bearing plants for our food. This is the most obvious point I'll make all morning. We depend on creation for everything. There's nothing that you have, that you possess, that is not in some way attached to the creation. Nothing. You have no clothes. You have no shelter. You have no transportation, you have no food without creation. I realize that sounds like almost too obvious to even say anything about. And historically, it probably would have been. Because throughout most of human history, most people lived relatively close to the visible creation. You and I don't. For most of us, most of the time, our engagement with creation is almost completely mitigated by human intervention. A manipulated creation. The quote-unquote raw material of creation having been transformed into something which makes it hard for us to know what it looked like in its original form. So I can sit at my laptop and order a pizza, like I did on Friday. That thing gets to uh, Jet's Pizza... And they make my pizza with ingredients that have come from, who knows, all over the world, transported by truck, by plane, by ship. They can deliver that pizza to my apartment, ring my doorbell. I never have to even see anybody, talk to anybody, take my pizza, and sit in front of my TV watching something while I eat. And there's nothing in any of that process that would remind me of my dependence on God's creation. Everything in that process has been mitigated by human intervention. Does that make sense See, right? Everything in that process tells me that I got that through my own ingenuity or through someone else's service. But there's nothing in that that would kind of trigger an awareness of my dependence on creation. I think this is actually a massive, massive problem. You and I will always be dependent on creation, whether we know it or not, whether we acknowledge it or not, because you, I don't care how good, smart, able you are, cannot create anything and neither can I. So we will always be dependent on creation. And yet our distance from the visible creation is increasing. This is a a unique thing in human history and one that we need to be thoughtful about. Honoring the image of God in ourselves means embracing that creation depends on us and that we depend on creation. This is not an intellectual exercise because you and I were made for worship, as we said in week one. And what most provokes your worship? Gratitude. Thankfulness. When I am thankful to God, I am led to worship. When I recognize my dependence, I'm led to feel thankful and I'm more prone to worship. Unlike the rest of creation, you and I have to choose to honor how God created us. And while it is harder and harder in this world to see our dependence on creation... We have to choose to see our dependence on God's creation. As a spiritual discipline, we have to choose to acknowledge our dependence on creation. About three or so months ago, one of our church leaders invited some people over to her apartment. And she cooked this delicious feast for us. I mean, it was a feast feast. And uh, we talked and kind of were hanging out. And then we all sat around the table together. And before we ate, uh, this person prayed. She, she prayed a blessing over the meal we were about to eat. And what really struck me is that she began her prayer of blessing by thanking God for uh, for the place where the food was grown. And then she thanked God for the farm laborers who planted the seeds and who cared for the land as the food was being grown. And then she thanked God for those who harvested uh, the food. Uh, and then those who transported the food. Those who packaged the food for us. and And, and in her... 30-second prayer, she reminded all of us that the feast we were about to enjoy didn't just come out of nowhere, wasn't a product of human ingenuity, that it came from God's creation, that the earth provided for us, that the the, the vegetables and produce that grew provided for us, that the the people working probably for far too little money provided for us. And in that small act of recognizing our dependence, she provoked gratitude in all of us, which leads to a posture of worship. I think one of the little evaluation things you and I can do is noticing sort of the temperature of our worship. If my worship is tepid, I can trace that. It may have to do with a lack of gratitude, which may have to do with with forgetting my dependence on, on God and God's creation. If my worship is tepid, it's likely that somewhere along the way, I started to see myself as being self-sufficient. I started to understand that I was entitled to the things that I have. Rather than as an interdependent member with the community of God's creation. Who needs God's good gifts to provide for me so I can't help but be thankful and worship. Pay attention to the temperature of your worship. Allow it to speak to you about your gratitude and your sense of dependence on God's creation. Honor the image of God by embracing interdependence with creation. Before we close, I I do think it's important to acknowledge that this invitation to embrace our interdependence is is countercultural. It cuts pretty deeply against the grain of our contemporary assumptions. We live in a society in which some of our neighbors... Are cast, are described only as dependents. They are described in terms of their lack or their need, of what they cannot do for themselves. Those who are assigned to the status of dependency can then be diminished. We make decisions about them, about what we think is best for them. On the other hand, others of our neighbors are striving for independence. They are doing all they can to limit how much they have to depend on anyone for anything. The goal is self-sufficiency. And I would say that in our society, we demean the dependence and we glorify the independence. And yet neither of these reflect the reality of what we were made for. Within God's purposeful creation, there is no one who is only dependent. That, like that 's something you and I need to be very clear about. There is no one who is only dependent, and independence of the kind which, which no longer has to rely on anybody for anything is a fantasy, a dehumanizing fantasy. You and I were created for relational interdependence with our creator, with his creation, and with our fellow image bearing creatures. I, I wonder if you struggle to actually imagine that way of living because I do. <laughs> I do the sinful rebellion, which we unleashed into the world, whispers anxiety into my ear about having to confess my dependence. And it whispers selfishness into my ear about anybody depending on me. What does it look like to harmonize our voice with the rest of creation by embracing our interdependence? Right here, that Christians find that we are actually not without an example. Because the very same one through whom creation was spoken into existence would one day take on our interdependent flesh. Do you want to know what it looks like to live the fully human life you were created for? Look to Jesus. Hear him admit his fatigues. See him weep over his deceased friend. Taste the parched lips as he confesses his thirst from the cross. Do you want to know what it looks like to honor the image of God in you? Look to Jesus. He sees the outcast no one else would see. He touches the leper no one else would touch. He forgives the sinner no one else would love. In Jesus, we see that the life we were made for in which we honor the responsibilities to others and we confess our need for their presence, we see that this life is not one that gets left behind in these early chapters of Genesis. It is one made available to us even today. The sin which whispered shame and selfishness, anxiety and pride has forever been defeated by our Savior's death and resurrection. No longer do we need to be content with less than the fully human lives as image bearers of the living God for which we were made. We can wrap our arms fully around the relational interdependence, which is at the very core of our identity. So entrust yourself, entrust yourself to Jesus and find that he allows you to admit your need, your need for God, for others, for the miracle of God's Creation, find as well that Jesus allows you to accept that your life was created to be a blessing. That vulnerable people will find safety in your presence. That marginalized landscapes and neighborhoods would find healing in your presence. And that the name of our Lord, the Creator God, would be a blessing to everyone in your presence. Amen.